This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome back to New Books and Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Julie Callio, and we're here today with Jamila Lee Johnson and Ashley Gaskew to talk about the volume they co-edited with Rochelle Winkle-Wagner, Critical Theory and Qualitative Data Analysis in Education, published by Routledge. Jamila and Ashley are doctoral students in education leadership and policy analysis here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Jamila and Ashley, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for talking with us today. Thank, Thank you, you, Julie. Thank you for having us. <laughs> so let's begin with your background and your research and how you came to study critical theory and qualitative data analysis. So one of you want to start us off? I can go first. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jimmy Lilly Johnson. Um, so let's see how I got to this spot. So I have over 10 years of higher education and student affairs experience. And um, I knew when I was in my last position, I said, it's time for me to go on and to pursue a higher degree. So I I applied. I got into the University of Wisconsin um, to study under Rochelle Winkle-Wagner. Ironically, which is weird. um, I don't necessarily know if I started off like anticipating like wanting to be in academia. Right. I knew I wanted to be on a college campus, um, but more so in like student affairs type roles and directors and things of that nature. Um, and then over time, um, as I began to take classes and, you know, being in a teaching assistant role, I have grown to love or understand more, too, and love like what it means to be in the academy and to be a professor. Um, so with that being said, um, my research interest is centered around the experiences of Black women overall in higher education, um, specifically um, looking at the experiences of undergraduate Black women at historically Black colleges um, in leadership positions. Um, and then how I got became interested in this book uh, is centered around a class I took, um, a field methods class with a professor named Maisha Wynn, and she wrote a book around dehumanizing mm-hmm. um humanizing research. Um, and so that also became, from reading that edited volume, that also is an inspiration for this book. And yeah. she wrote the foreword to our book. Um, and her book is great. Yeah. And it was almost like, it's one of those books that you can kind of like take around with you yep. um, to kind of um, go back and use it as a guide to see yourself as someone who wants to work with marginalized populations, underserved communities, this book is a really good book, an example of that. Um, and so that also has become one of my research interests, which is, which is really centered around like humanizing my participants um, and finding ways that I can also give back to them as the researcher. Nice. All right, Ashley. Um, let's see. I have been in school all my life. I've gone straight through. <laughs> Um, so straight through undergrad, master's, and then here now being a doc student, um, doc student pursuing a joint PhD in 
educational leadership and policy analysis, as well as curriculum and instruction. So in the school of it. Um, and I study for-profit colleges and universities, specifically looking at the impact that they have um, on faculty and faculty of color and kind of the long-term and short-term impacts that this sector has on the entire field of post-secondary education. And for me, it's important to get involved in critical work because for-profits aren't very understudied. They're not included inclusively in or holistically in the work of post-secondary education. If they are covered, it's always in the media. And not that that's bad, but I just feel that it also needs to be in academia as well because part of the reason that they exist is because of the work nonprofit institutions have done or the lack thereof, <laughs> some may argue as well. So I feel that it's important to center their voices. And I got very interested in critical theory, just kind of hearing it. And then through mm-hmm. Rochelle's class, um, which is how the book came to be, Anyway, um, basically any class for show offers is like packed, like you want to take it, right? You're just like, yeah, I'm going to take this class. So I read the syllabus. I was like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Um, the first couple of weeks, we struggled. We struggled. <laughs> <laughs> we, was, we were sitting there like, oh, okay, this is... But it was great because it was like, this is what some of us felt like we were missing in our program is like really being pushed, really being taught to think critically, to taught to think out of the norm, to push back against what has been told to us is Mm -hmm. how you do research, how you have a question, how you're supposed to use your theory. And in that class, we're like, okay, well, who are we doing the research for? Why are we doing the research? How are we coming to employ the theories that we're using, right? Like, why are we using these theories? Because it's, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. It's fun to use right now. You know, um, we always talk about fads, but fads happen in academia too. So like, you know, helping us understand like why we're really doing the work that we're doing. And I feel like mm-hmm. from that moment on, it's really made me really pause and think like, why am I doing what I'm doing beyond the requirements? So beyond I need to pass this class, beyond I need to do my qualifying exam, beyond my proposal and my dissertation, like why am I really doing it? Who am I as a person? And what does that mean? when I'm doing my research. So, yeah. I also think it's a sense of passion. Yeah. Too, like, it, it really has, um, it's inspiring. It's like, yeah, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. So I want to continue to do this. And how can I see this as a platform mm-hmm. to to be better? Mm-hmm. Or even to inspire my colleagues to be better. Mm-hmm. So, All right. And I'd like to start off with some definitions. So you guys have referred to critical theory and the way you were introduced to this in the class that you took with Rochelle. Uh, maybe you could describe for our listeners who might not be familiar with this, uh, your perspective on what critical theory is and how it informs then how you're approaching data analysis. I think we could tag team this. Yeah. So um, I think cr- asking like what exactly critical theory is, is a little vague, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of, so everyone's definition of what being critical um, is going to be different. And the book um, shows that. Yeah. And I think that the our book shows that in terms of what may be critical to me, maybe not critical to someone else. Um, and I think that's why the book is also important too, um, because it's, it has a variety of range mm-hmm. um, from looking at different authors that are studying various types of work until from looking at syllabi essentially to even looking at tweets to understanding commercials to looking at folks comments and what they're saying in op-eds mm-hmm. um but it's an action essentially yeah. our definition of it is like it's an action and what what is actually happening right now or what has happened in order for us to want to 
think on it critically. Or when I think of critical, and I always talk about this, I think about like, oh, it's an emergency, like it mm-hmm. needs to be handled. Like we, that's what we think, like critical, right? Yeah. Um, I guess that's not scholarly, but to me, it's scholarly. <laughs> it is scholarly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. and that's what our work is about. Is yeah. is that very like we don't think it's scholarly, but it actually is. Like critical mm-hmm. theory is about censoring stuff that we've traditionally marginalized. Mm-hmm. So that could be the voice of participants. That could be the data that you use. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is actually scholarly work. This is critical work. This is important work. And then the action component Jamila was talking about, like doing something, not just being like, oh, it's a problem over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to shed light on it. You know, we love to say, this, this work sheds light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yep. So it's kind of like, well, beyond shedding light, like what are you, what action are you doing? Is it is it calling out people? Is it speaking out? Is it using data that wouldn't be normally use is it including the voices of your participants mm-hmm. more directly um having them like analyze the data with you or having you know maybe you start the research off with a direct quote from them i know um rochelle often co-authors with her participants as well and includes them like so mm-hmm. what ways that you cannot just use the data but do something with the data that mm-hmm. you're doing and that varies it depends on your, who you are mm-hmm. Um, your epistemology, your way of being and thinking and knowing. Um, also, just your status at, at, in academia, whether you're a graduate student, whether mm-hmm. you're faculty, whether you're a chair, you know, the the freedoms that come with that. And even kind of like some of the chapters in there even speak out about that, right? Like the constraints that's put on people in academia in the various mm-hmm. stages they're in and calling to kind of like push back against that. So I just feel like ditto to what Jimmy was saying, mm-hmm. pushing back. Nice. Thank you for that. Um, So let's talk a little bit about how this approach to critical theory and then the focus on qualitative data analysis. Mm -hmm. So how do you see this book contributing to the field, um, both in who the contributors contributors were and then the types of data sources that you used and then the variety that you provide in terms of how you can analyze the data? I think this book contributes to everyone in academia or thinking about academia because I feel like it's a really good example of how you use your theory throughout your mm-hmm. research mm-hmm. and it's not just that one section or that one chapter you're like Oop, there's my theory section mm-hmm. there's my theory mm-hmm. chapter I think it shows mm-hmm. you how you need to incorporate it throughout your data analysis throughout like how you're gathering your data mm-hmm. the type of data you're getting um how you're using it how you're analyzing it so one I think just on a base level like that it's important Because I know for me, it was like, okay, I got theory, but I'm Mm -hmm. not sure how I connect it with everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, then you write a cute little sentence here and there. And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, did I tie it in enough? Mm -hmm. And you're just like, Mm no. So I feel like on that level, um, it's helpful. I think it's especially important for qualitative work that sometimes isn't seen as rigorous. It isn't seen Mm -hmm. as scholarly. It isn't Mm -hmm. valued as much to actually be. Or even seen as data. Or even seen as data. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or even seen as data to Mm -hmm. actually push back and be like, this work is critical. I think especially as me being a black female, um, scholar in academia, choosing to pursue qualitative work primarily, Mm-hmm. Um, I do try to be mixed methods, but you know the data ain't always there. From my line, from my line of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to push back and be like, no, this is actually good scholarly work. Mm-hmm. Um, my work is rigorous. My work is critical. It's important, and these are the reasons that it's important, and this is why it should be shared. I think the book does a good example with different people and how they use mm-hmm. different types of data, like mm-hmm. tweets. You know, I think that this will help 
future students who are coming in who are going to be using tweets, who are going to be using Facebook posts, who are going to be using any type of social media, they can refer to Lee Johnson and Henderson's chapter and be like, this is valid. This is worthy. I can use this because it is like we're studying people, we're studying interactions, and this is a primary way people do that. So mm-hmm. here's a way that we can do it that's still critical, mm-hmm. that's still scholarly, that's respectable, mm-hmm. all those things um, that we think can't be. It can. It is. I think for me, when I was reading the chapters, the model of here's the data that I have, here's how I analyze it, really walked through each step of it was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there is another text that does that. No. I also think it um, gives authors and, um, well, author scholars, all the participants of our in our book, um, the opportunity to be a little risky. Right. Mm-hmm. And do things that are necessarily like outside of your norm mm-hmm. and what you want to do. I think so, so many times we're so used to let me go do these 20 interviews and let me analyze mm-hmm. these interviews and let's see what that does. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that because I do that as well. But it gives you the chance to maybe harp on something that you may really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Or something that you enjoy doing or reading or even participating in. So. I think that's, that. that's actually a really nice segue too, to for each of you to talk about your own chapters. So maybe if you could talk about uh, the chapter that you wrote and why you chose that topic and give us some examples of your analysis. Um, so Ashley, your chapter is titled Habermas and Data Analysis in For-Profit Higher Education Institutions. Um, maybe if you could give us the example from the University of Phoenix and talk about why you did this. Yes. <laughs> um, so um, I use Habermas, but specifically with Habermas, I use his colonization of the life world. So basically talking about communication and speech acts and how in this larger system that really can impact your life world. So your day to day interactions and how this if you're not careful, the larger system actually can control how you interact, how you speak on a day-to-day basis. You know, we all like, oh, you know, can't nobody control me. I'm my own person. There's so many forces out here that are kind of shaping how we come to view things. Our discourse around, uh, like even the discourse around for-profit institutions and how that's changed over the last several decades. While they still get a lot of criticism, it has become a common thread, right, in post-secondary education. So I felt that that was a good way to kind of, begin to get away at how television commercials from proprietary institutions are ways that our discourse in our life world can Mm -hmm. become colonized. Um, So I chose to look at the University of Phoenix because say what you want about them. You can tell they put money into their commercials. Mm -hmm. And some research has shed light on the fact that a lot of proprietary institutions do spend more money on advertisements Mm -hmm. than they do on other things like instruction. Um, Because part of that is to appeal to students, to get them interested. Um, I, I also feel that it's a way to keep students interested, to have a sense of pride in the institution that they're at. Um, that keeps them there. And word of mouth is always going to be a good way to get students in. So if they see something, a product that they can buy into, like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like this seems like a credible um, institution, right? Um, so again, ways that images or media, television commercials are used to kind of shape your thought. So I looked at the, for this book chapter specifically, my larger work looks at television commercials over time. 
and how that discourse has changed over time. Um, but this one was the More Than Brains commercial, which I thought was really interesting um, because it showed so many people in so many different settings. Like it was an older guy who looked like he had something with his heart and he was like, I took two bullets to the chest. I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's a lot for a degree. <laughs> um, it was like a single mother on the bus then um, like a packed bus studying. It was a waitress. It was a professional businessman in his office studying. It was a guy on a tractor. So all these images. So you're able to identify in part with some aspects of this, what, 30 second commercial, right? Because commercials have to be quick to get their message across. Um, so look, kind of like taking a deeper look mm-hmm. at what, the, what, so what is this commercial mm-hmm. saying beyond like, we're a good school, we're, we're, we're no different than a UW Madison, right? Mm-hmm. Or no different than your community college or any other national or regional institution that's in your area. Mm-hmm. So like, besides that, like, what are they saying? So kind of like really processing, like, so I transcribed the words, I transcribed the images Mm -hmm. and then begin doing like a coding scheme um, to take like some low level coding and pulling out the messages there and then doing, um, Oh my goodness. What is it called? Let me look in the chapter here. Um, So I did the coding. I also created a coding scheme and then we did like meaning fields. And most of the, my first two steps are taken from Carl Speckens ethnography book and how he looks at, coding at a minimum level so you look at the words and you're just like okay i took two bullets to the chest like what are you saying like strength perseverance like mm-hmm. endurance kind of making a meaning and then the meaning feels like you know i am strong and i persevere and i you know keep going or i will fail you know so it's kind of like those and or things so you're trying to extrapolate larger meanings from the text so being able to go through an entire roughly 30 second commercial and doing that for all for like the few each few seconds. The good thing about television commercials is that a couple seconds it's switching to a different um, scene or a different image, a different sound. So kind of being able to go through and look at that. And basically, just what I found was that um, they were talking to different audiences. So they're definitely talking to prospective students, saying we are worthy um, of your attention. Um, saying our degree, I think one of the lines is a degree is a degree. So it's like, it don't matter where you go. (laughs) You just need this credential, right? You need, so kind of getting into the line of that work. You just need something to signal to the market that, um, you're viable, you know, got three kids. I never rest. So mothers, you can come here too. You can still have children, still go to school. Um, and then um, I can't remember. I'm trying to see. I'll be working while you sleep. Just the the facts. I think there they're speaking to the larger public. It's like we have students that work hard, too. But if you look at the commercial, they're defining the way students work hard differently than I feel non-traditional institutions do. So the way they define hard working, mm-hmm. the way they define perseverance, right, is different. But it's still getting on qualities like, oh, yeah, I work hard. Mm-hmm. I, I persevere. I'm good. So, but we're really trying to think what do they mean? And I think speaking to the difference between non traditional, traditional students, it's just so many different messages. I don't want to like Harper on because I know mm-hmm. Jamila should talk to, but mm-hmm. just kind of understanding what's going on. And I think also speaking back to their competitors in both the nonprofit and the for profit sector with that line of degrees, a degree. So basically, like, you're no better than we are. Mm-hmm. We can educate students and prepare them for the mm-hmm. job market as well, which again goes into the conversation of what the purpose or purpose yeah. is of higher education, right? Being able to speak back. 
to kind of all these different stakeholders, all these different competitors, all these people with views on their institution and really kind of understanding some of those underlying messages other than where a school will come to us. So I feel like it's important to understand that, especially because mm-hmm. this sector is a more guarded sector. It's very hard to gain access to them, to talk to them. So I feel like one of the ways they do communicate is through their television commercials. Mm-hmm. So what are they trying? And then also, what are they communicating about the purpose of post-secondary education as well? So I don't know if I, because it's a book chapter, you know, you got to cut out certain things so you can fit that word count. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, that is what um, it is like my chapter speaks about. It's kind of looking deeper at me- And then you don't pay attention, but it shapes your thought over time, right? Expect those commercials are playing in the background. You know, that's when you get up from your show, you go grab your snack or you're having in the background clean. But the more you hear it and the more it becomes commonplace, it's shaping your view and your discourse. And you're not even realizing it. And then you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. So then when something happens, like, oh, that's not bad. You know, so, but not understanding like what this means and the potential larger implications. So, yeah, thank you. And I, I think that, Again, as I read your chapter, that direct connection between how you analyze the data that really brought out the the, discor- the discursive moves that they're making yeah. in that commercial, that to be able to interpret it in that way, that ties the critical theory to right. how you're actually using your code. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like once you multiply that on a larger scale, like that's just mm-hmm. one commercial, like in right. one institution, there are a lot of institutions that have so many different types of commercials and all that. So I'm just like... This is mm-hmm. important to look at. Like this is, we have a whole line of research about discourse and all that. I'm like this is yeah. contributing to that, and we need to better understand it. Like uh, even to the point, like nonprofit institutions have taken a liking to this and have started to put out advertisements as well. So it's like, mm-hmm. what are we saying here about like larger discourse? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Thanks. All right, let's turn to Jamila. So you co- co-authored a chapter with Laura Henderson titled mm-hmm. Using Social Media to Recenter Black Women's Voices in Educational Research. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Twitter, mm-hmm. the tweets that you used mm-hmm. and your analytic techniques for that and how that's furthered your understanding? Mm-hmm. It's hard to follow up on, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> you got this. So um, our chapter uh, was centered around Specifically, social media, mm-hmm. um, in essence, Twitter, but utilizing Black Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Which has become this phenomenon, essentially, um, for the Black community, right? Where um, there are things like Black Twitter, yeah. that it's, it is Black Twitter, where you, you tweet and then you can like even do the hashtag Black Twitter mm-hmm. and it falls under like that trend, right? Okay. So um, our chapter was inspired by an incident that happened um, with, what is his name? Don Lemon. No, that's not, is it? That's not Don Lemon. Sorry, Don Lemon. Um, <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, yep, not Don okay. Lemon. Bill or not Don Lemon. I like Don Lemon. Um, <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, um, where he is having a conversation with three other people around Maxine Waters. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, I can't take her congresswoman, Maxine Waters, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, around like, oh, I can't take anything seriously because she, he makes a reference to James Brown. Um, Some respect on her. Who is um, R&B, like one of the godfathers of soul. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't pay any attention to her seriously because she looks like James Brown with a wig on it. Um, and so from there, um, 
she says she her response was like I will not be defined and it inspires this tweet of like black women's experiences that they have at work Mm -hmm. um, where there may be the end times where they feel defeated, but may not necessarily say anything about it. And so with these tweets, I believe it was like almost over 25,000 tweets where black women tweeted like black women at work, where they tweeted like different examples of things that may have happened to them um, where they felt like, that they were, what is the word that I'm looking Silenced. for? Silenced. Silenced. Yeah, in that essence. And so that's what inspired our mm-hmm. um, chapter. And so from there, uh, one of the struggles that we had was how to choose the tweets because there's so many so, tweets. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we, um, which I would like to see someone do this, um, essentially uh, with the Me Too movement and things that are happening, um, especially like in different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think that that's like, will be the like next inspiration um but we were able to kind of uh we used our twitter as data and essentially like twitter um is not necessarily always used in a qualitative sense it's um more mm-hmm. so used quantitatively and so we wanted to show like yes you can use these 140 characters or less mm-hmm. in a qualitative sense and make sense from that um and so from there we use um w.e.b du bois's sense of double consciousness um, in a sense where it's like blacks and African-Americans have to operate in two situations, like being black and what it also means into American. And so we adapted that to being like a woman, but also being a black woman at work mm-hmm. and the experiences that you have um, and a dominating, uh, dominating or assimilating to what it means to be in like white culture versus like having these two. It's almost like flip flop right where one day when I'm somewhere I have to be someone else when I'm at home but when I'm at work I have to turn on this like this is these are the experience that I have to feel when I'm at work like mm-hmm. silo and so we use uh double consciousness um instead of coming from a black feminist theory like most of my work is kind of centered mm-hmm. around like black feminist thought and I wanted to essentially like let's let's play around with double consciousness and see what that means and how do, how do we have that feeling because there are aspects of black feminist thought that are stemmed from double consciousness, essentially. Um, and then we use critical discourse analysis, um, which critical discourse analysis uses like social analysis and language studies. I'm reading straight mm-hmm. from my chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also look, there's so many ways with critical discourse analysis um, because you can use it to describe existing realities, but also evaluate it as well. Yeah. Um, and even, and so there's even a section in the book, in the chapter where we talk about how social texts, in this case, like the tweets, um, are shaped by social practices and structures, meaning by social, social, um, agents. So for example, the women whose tweets we analyzed, um, were able to express themselves as a result of a highly political event, um, where black women where have historically been silenced, which has been in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's how we came up with our chapter and how we demonstrated, like, Black women using social media as a way to express themselves and also using it as a way to connect with other Black women who have had similar experiences. Um, so one of the things that we did, so we proposed, we did low level, which is called in vivo coding, um, which is similar to what Ashley did, mm-hmm. where um, we took the tweet and we broke it down. And then what we did was then go back 
and analyze it for two-ness, which is what comes out of double consciousness is when you leave, when you use two-ness is the, not the art of like being two different people mm-hmm. essentially, which is on the lines of double consciousness. I hope that's making sense. Yeah. Um, so one of the examples that I can talk about in the book, so we use three different examples. And so one of the examples is, so we called it for both critical discourse analysis and double consciousness. So it was almost two different what two different forms of coding that you could use. Mm-hmm. So one of the tweets was, oh, so this is like my favorite one. Um, black woman, hashtag black woman at work pulls me to the side. You are very mm-hmm. smart and great at your job, but what you would get so much further if you change your hair. Right. And so for the critical discourse analysis piece, we talked about how the writer uses the phrase pulls me to the side and how that suggests that she is being chastised or singled out. Okay. And she uses the words smart and great at your job to describe other people's appraisals of her ability to do her job, which is this approval, right? Where you feel like you have to meet this approval, which is also a form of tuness, like, oh, I need your approval. Um, to be smart, but you will look at me differently if I change my hair. Um, and then we use also double consciousness, um, where we talk about how the writer wears his hairstyles that are likely consistent with her own racial and cultural background. You're wearing what you feel comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or how you feel like you want to wear your hair and how the norms of like the dominant society place more value on like certain ha- value hairstyles. Um, then basically what the work in what I came here to do. So if I look differently, then I will be go become further. But because I may wear braids and red lipstick, then you're not going to take me seriously. Um, and so the analysis that we provided, and we do this for each one of the examples that we use, is that um, this tweet provides an example of how Black women's physical features may impact other perceptions of them in the workplace. Right. And while most black women do not have to worry about how their hair, their hair is styled will be accepted by others. But from other racial and cultural groups, it's a great concern at work. Right. And so somebody asked, well, this isn't necessarily affiliated with education, but it, it is. is. Yeah. Right. Because these are the, some of the same experiences that are happening at work, which may you may be at a collegiate session and the collegiate um, on a college campus. You may be as a principal. Um, these are things that are also happening. So it is education, right? And thinking of ways that this even happens to students that are in the classroom and how people may pursue them or even thinking about how you may dress or how you may even wear your hair for a job interview and, and wanting to be taken seriously. So um, that's a little bit about like what my chapter is about and what we're hoping to do to explain and help others to see it. I think it's great. I think yeah. it's great work, right? To be able to pull that much from a few words, right? Because you yeah. Twitter is unique. You cannot ramble on and on and on like you can in a Facebook post that is one post where you can continuously refer, refer back to. Like people tell stories, mm-hmm. right? But like in that one tweet, you have to be careful the words you pick mm-hmm. to convey the type of message that you're trying to convey. To be able to pull all of that out using CDA, critical discourse analysis, and the boys' double consciousness. I think it's like riveting work. But I also think, let me add this too, is that was I think it was important to highlight is that the tweets were pulling from people that have open 
open, yeah. open Twitters, right? Mm-hmm. So I would only imagine that those who have private tweets, what some of those tweets are even saying mm-hmm. or even like gaining access to that. Well, and I think this shows how you can take different forms of data mm-hmm. to create meaning and create knowledge in a way that's different than doing interviews with people, mm-hmm. where if you have to ask them directly, you're not going to get the same message. And again, mm-hmm. I think that Twitter is great for that double consciousness because people are putting it out in a way that means more than just the words mm-hmm. that they are putting out okay. there. As does, Like you said, choosing specifically which words mm-hmm. they're going to use. And your data analysis really brings that out. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I would be crafting tweets and I have my notes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't reach the limit of what I needed, yeah. you know, so I feel like that's important, right? Uh-huh. To well, be able to convey all that. And that's part of the critical theory, right? So mm-hmm. that it's both understanding the systems that you're a part of and then how that influences your action. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me talk a little bit about the book, the process of bringing the book together. Ooh. So this was an edited volume. You said mm-hmm. it came out of a course, a lot of the authors are graduate students or Mm -hmm. recent graduate students. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the process, your, how you were involved in editing and comments, recruiting other folks to be involved in the book? (laughs) So we were involved from the very beginning Mm -hmm. in terms of even, um, so we I, we need to give credit to Rochelle. Yes. Right? So, yes. She is the um the spearhead behind this. And so mm-hmm. we are also, uh, we were in the class, but we're also her advisees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, I think that, um, she was like, I want to do, do a book. book. Yeah, right. And we're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. In my head, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, did I really write something good? <laughs> um, and so from there, she's like, I think that this, from this class, like part of the reason that I wanted to teach this class is because I see so many students doing work, critical work, mm-hmm. and not necessarily even understanding or getting to that point. And so the class is like, it's phenomenal. And it could actually even be split up into two different sections, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Just on critical theories and then coming back and learning how to analyze your data. Like, I think that's, it's a strength that's going to help me in terms of like how to even construct okay. my research. Yeah. Because we don't necessarily know how to do that. We hear this like, don't do interviews and things like that. Um, And so, that's another story. (laughs) But with the book, so from the beginning, we we began to write the proposal Mm -hmm. um, to Routledge. And we met with our copy editor, Mm -hmm. Heather. Um, Shout out to Heather. Yeah, shout out Mm -hmm. to Heather. Um, And from there... We talked about the book, and so they send it off um, to potential reviewers, and they say, well, we feel like this may be a good need. You may want to do this. Yeah. Uh, change the title of the book, or you may want to... Have more authors from different institutions, mm-hmm. right? right? And so we had to really push back on that because it came from a class. So the first opportunity we gave was to people that were in the, the class, class yeah. to write, to be a part of a book. Um, and so from there, we did that, and so we were sitting like thinking about like, who can we add to different things? Like, what was inspirational? So we read Dehumanizing Research mm-hmm. um, in the class. So I was like, oh, and I, at the time, I was also taking a class on Maisha. And I was like, yes, my, like, Maisha should have to write the four because this book is almost like a spinoff of her mm-hmm. book. Um, so that's what we did. And then we mm-hmm. kind of went through and thought about, like, who are pillars in the field, um, in the field of higher education, as well as um, other K through 12 curriculum. We don't want to leave those out. Yeah. Um, and what is, what would they bring differently to, um, 
the book. And we also wanted to give the opportunity to give to rising scholars yeah, that was for them to time. um to show their work, right? Because while we're graduate students and some of them are recent graduate students, like I also we also know like the type of work that they're doing mm-hmm. and how in certain spaces it may not be accepted. And then this gave them a way to you know to want to be accepted and to kind of go from here. So um, we asked them to write up abstracts yeah. about their work, mm-hmm. and essentially our. My abstract that I wrote about is not what I wrote about in the book. Like, let me just say that now. And I think, like, this book, yeah, is really like a labor of love, and it was not easy. I remember we got our contracts. I was like, yeah, we can do it in six months. And she was like, oh, no. And I'm so glad that we did because. That would have been brutal. Yes. I mean, it was brutal still. Like It was. But. Editing volumes are so different because you're yeah. working. It's not just you, right? I feel mm-hmm. like if it was yep. just your book, you know what you're capable of doing. Uh-huh. But like we had to set internal deadlines. So if you yeah. really need something done January 15th, you don't tell people you need it January 15th. <laughs> you, you know, you have to. Pr- so learning, learning that trick. So I'm like everybody's scholars, yeah. you know, they're going to yeah. no, no. Set an internal deadline and, and work from there. That was like the biggest thing I learned. And also to. So during that time, like doing this book, I was also writing uh, or co-authoring another book chapter for another book. Mm-hmm. So that was also a unique experience, right? Because it's like week, right? Yeah. So it wasn't like we could just switch, right? Or talk mm-hmm. with the editors of that book. To be like, you know, I'm feeling... Today ain't a good day, you know, but like, I feel like in this opportunity, like a lot of the authors came back and like, thank you for that. Thank you for the encouragement. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like even us, like we reviewing chapters, giving feedback or working through our own chapter, being able to like kind of be vulnerable in that space and to kind of get the encouragement you need. That wasn't, that's not something that happens every time like you're writing a book. You yeah. know, you need to be able to, or if you, you can't share that with them. Right. And I feel like sometimes you should be able to do that, right? Ish. Especially when we're talking about work and we're trying to push back against paradigms and be different and we still reproduce, right? <laughs> These same inequities. You're like, oh, oh, that was just a cute little thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not really walking walking in like you're talking. Shout out to the Migos. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you are just, you know, so I feel like that was really great. Like hearing that feedback from the audience, mm-hmm. like, thank you for allowing me to talk. Thank you for talking through this with me. Thank mm-hmm. you for giving me encouragement. Thank you for listening to my idea or being like, we need something. Send us your, like, send us what you have. We're not here to judge you. Like we mm-hmm. are, you know, sharing mm-hmm. that with them. Like we're all going through this mm-hmm. process together. I feel like that's great. Like, I don't know if I'll ever have an experience like that again. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I also show us being vulnerable too. Mm-hmm. Um, along the lines of Ashley saying, but even like having to like pick up the phone and say like, hey, here's what we mean by this feedback, right? Yeah. This is why, because sometimes, I, I mean, I think along the lines with emails and wording, things can be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. And you may not understand, like, um, I think for me, my goal was not to be reviewer number two, right? Yeah. And so I, in the field, we know that reviewer number two is usually always their harsh person yeah. that is like, no, this sucks. And yeah. da, 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 like, you need to restart over, right? right? So it's like, no. Let's let's reframe this or yeah. save this for another book chapter because this isn't essentially what we want to do. And it's hard to write a methods chapter mm-hmm. like this and what our book is because you don't want to say Harvard Miles did this and this is how 
this reflects. No, it's like pull out examples and walk me through it. So we wanted it to almost be like a guidebook and a workbook to show like this is how you can do this and kind of going from there. And I think what was great was being able to watch Rochelle, Rochelle Winkle Wagner through this, like having mm-hmm. taken classes with her, like her feedback is great. Like mm-hmm. you don't leave feeling horrible. Like you could tell she reads it and she gives you like, that's how I model myself. Like even being a TA, TA mm-hmm. now giving mm-hmm. feedback is like, she, you get like a whole little mini paragraph or, you know, mm-hmm. up to like a half a page, maybe a page. Like she starts off with the good things and things you like, she makes you feel like, okay, I can do this. And then it's like, you know, see the paper for further comments. And so it's like, here's an example of like what I meant earlier. So trying to like model like my feedback, like after her. And then like also after like Shuli Wong, she's another professor here. She gives really good feedback as well. So mm-hmm. I tried to think about mm-hmm. all the instructors I've taken classes with that even when the work wasn't great, um, or even like Nick Hill, I remember I took a class with him and he gave me some comments on the paper. He had to be direct because I needed it, right? And, you know, so learning when you needed to be direct, but also like showing compassion, showing humanity. Like, these are people who like this work is deeply personal to all of us, right? Mm-hmm. We're writing about stuff. We're like identifying with or we're seeing um, or people around us have experienced. So we don't ever want to tear people down. Who are we, right? To say like your work isn't great, but like like he was like, okay, you know, we're a little bit confused by what you mean here. You know, can you provide more clarity with what you're trying to say? Or even like Jamila was really great with feedback too, being like, yeah, like being able to be like, this is great. Like let, let the chapter focus on this. However, this is actually another like publishable topic, I think. Like mm-hmm. I think you can pull this section and use it. So now that person is walking away feeling like, oh, okay, I, I got some ideas here, but which mm-hmm. is also true, but like also like helping them tailor and focus like what the chapter is about. And then also like, Helping them extrapolate like, okay, these things can go in another article, in another book, in Mm -hmm. any other type of other publication. But like, I actually have rich content here that still deserves to be heard. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So I guess to make, so we did editing. We did that. We spent a lot of time editing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Several book retreats. Yeah. um, And send like chapters out. Um, We were involved in the organization and how the book should be structured. um, And even down to even the cover. Of the book. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about the cover a little bit mm-hmm. in that picture. It's amazing. Go <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay. ahead. So they send you this sheet, right? Yes. To, to pick out, like, what don't you want? What do you want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, bright colors for sure. Right. Um, and so they sent us two. Two, yeah, they said this too. Like we, we said, like we didn't want pictures of anyone specifically, kind mm-hmm. of like more abstract, but like mm-hmm. speaking to like blackness, pride, like strength, like stuff like that. Like we were, we were mm-hmm. able to put in there, and then you're just like, okay, I hope they know what what we mean here. And I think we were having like a, we were having like a book meeting because we had like mm-hmm. monthly book meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, did y'all check your email? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. They sent us drafts of the book and they were like so great. Like yeah. to see like this is like and they and when they send it to you, like they put your names in it You're and right. everything. So it's not mm-hmm. like this is just what the book is gonna look like, this is what it is. Um and so we were like, I was like, Okay, let me sit on this. And I was like, Well, is the fist gonna be too commercialized? And then I was like, No. Yeah, I think Rochelle and I saw the fist and we were like, Yeah. Yeah. And then Jamila was like, I don't know. So we we're like, Okay, we're gonna like let us all like take a yeah. break. Let's sleep on it. Yeah. And then I woke up the next day, I was like, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I and also because it's not just a plain fist, but it has like Color multiple colors and it sort of represents yeah. everything that we want the book to do. So it was a perfect book cover. 
And I wanted to point out in the afterword, mm-hmm. you ended with a quote um, fr- from Viola Davis in her Oscar acceptance speech. We must continue to exhume and elevate the untold stories. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that quote meant to you in terms of um, this book coming together and the work that it does. I can start off. So that was my idea. So along with my love for like social media, I love pop culture and like Oscars and things like that. And so when I heard her say that, I was like, this is exactly what our book is trying to do. Well, is doing, not even trying, um, of wanting to tell the stories and allowing others to tell the stories um, for those who may not always often be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I'll say about that. And I think that's great. Like, like the chapters are so different, right? Like we have a chapter that talks about geography and makes you like question, like how things are shaped, how they're portrayed. And you're like, Oh, this is deep. Like this is important mm-hmm. to like pictures and art and how like you take pictures and what that means and who's taking the picture, what they're capturing to like mm-hmm. syllabi, you know, like things you normally wouldn't question, right? You're like, it's a syllabus, you know? Yeah. This is what it is. You, you, then you're like pushing back. So it makes you think like, oh, okay, like in what ways am I like contributing to oppression, to marginalization, and I may not realize it. And granted, you can't take on everything, right? But just to understand how things are and how they persist. I think that's great. Like we're all telling stories and we're shedding light on them in different and unique ways that are important to understand and to listen to and to appreciate. And the fact that like a lot of this are written by graduate students or young scholars or young like practitioner scholars, um, I feel is, is worth noting and I feel helps push back against academia, right? So it's not, mm-hmm. and we respect, you know, senior scholars in the field, but like also, you know, us as novices, we, we have things to say. We have things to contribute to and to be able to say, here, this is important. Take a look at this. Include this in the dialogue. We're never, we're not saying like, no, none of the chapters say discard everything mm-hmm. differently, but it's like, hey, have you thought about this in this way? Like we should really be paying attention to this and incorporating it when we can, how we can. I think it's a way to also dismantle um, what the ivory tower essentially is supposed to look like mm-hmm. um, and what the new ivory tower is becoming to look like and thinking of ways in that sense. So. Well, this has been really great and we've taken up a lot of your time talking about the book today. Um, I'd like to ask you one final question, which is what are you working on now? Tell us a little bit about your research and where you're at and what we can, uh, what we'll hear from you coming up soon. <laughs> Go well, hopefully soon. You will. Um, you, I will have the three letters behind my name that we've been working on. May 2019, on. yes. Uh, um, so I am in the process of analyzing data um, with my dissertation and writing the final chapters um, around exploring a, a leadership experiences of undergraduate Black women at historically Black colleges. Um, and then from there... Um, pushing the study even further to understand, to look at how leadership played an imp- has played an impact um, in the types of careers um, that Black women essentially have gone into. Um, and think, in essence, thinking about women who attended historically Black colleges but have now gone on to be the CEO of Starbucks, to be superintendents, to be um, Kamala Harris to run for governor, like Stacey Abrams most recently did. Yeah. Um, so essentially, 
Um, I'm wanting to do a longitudinal study on my work. Um, so that's where I am currently on the job market. Don't know if I should say that. But. Yes, you should. Yeah. Let, let the people know. So that's where I am. Ashley, how about you? I am proposing my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to uh, get started on that research. So interviewing faculty that um, work at for-profit institutions. And I'm also doing a mm-hmm. trying to do a side research project where I'm interviewing faculty and students that attended for-profit institutions that suddenly closed. Um, so trying to gather their perspectives um, and their experiences and include that into the larger literature. And gra- planning on graduating May 2020? You will. Uh, you know, just trying to follow the lead, touching the hem here. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> soon to be Dr. Lee Johnson. Um, so that is what I am working on right now in terms of school. and just trying to live my best life, you know, inside and outside academia. <laughs> Well, these sound like great projects. We'll look forward to hearing about them. Thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I I'm sure too. our listeners. Thank it you. Was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I was nervous at first, but yeah. it was fun. And thank you, listeners, for being with us today as we talk to Jamil Lee Johnson and Ashley Gaskew about their book that they co-edited with Rochelle Winkle Wagner, titled "Critical Theory and Qualitative Data Analysis in Education," published in 2018 from Rutledge. And again, this is Julie Callio, your host for the New Books in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.